to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is entrepreneur Chris Snook, who is the managing partner at Launch House and the chairman and founder of the World Tokenomic Forum. Chris is heavily involved in the blockchain slash crypto space and is one of my go-to resources when I evaluate this side of the business. He shares a lot of his insights with us today about the space, what pitfalls we should be aware of, and what exciting opportunities we should focus on going forward. He also tells us about his exciting new initiative that he just started called the World Tokenomic Forum and the impact that he aims to achieve. Let's get on to the show. Chris, thanks so much for joining us on the show, man. I'm excited to talk to you today. I don't think you're as excited as I am to be on your show. <laughs> well, uh, let's get right into it then. Um, Chris, your list of accomplishments is too long, so uh, I, I can't really uh, do justice. So why don't you uh, give a, a brief introduction to our audience and tell us a little bit about the many things that you uh, that you do. Well, I you know I appreciate that. I think um, <laughs> hopefully the whatever I've accomplished so far is uh, is just. The beginning, I, I think, you know, I look at it a little differently because I've got the bumps and the bruises and the broken bones <laughs> uh, and the memories of those to, to you know, kind of uh, humbly say that, you know, we're happy to still be in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at, at heart. I, um, I didn't know I was going to be. Um, I uh, graduated college in 98 and I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. I went to grad school because that was kind of the next thing you did. Mm-hmm. And I think several people may have been on that plan and listening to this at some point. And, um, you know, and, and essentially what happened was I <clears throat> I went and got more education and uh, went out to see what I was worth in the market. And it wasn't worth what I thought I would be worth. And I didn't have delusions of grandeur. I thought 75000 a year was probably all the money in the world back then. And so, you know, I, I didn't have these massive ambitions. But um, long story short, I mean, I, I essentially rethought things and I started to read some books and um, you know one thing led to the next and I started my first company in 2000 um, really didn't know what I was doing and uh, call it tuition but I spent about four years and going half a million dollars in debt never getting to revenue and wow. lear- learning very quickly that uh, I was really crappy at this thing called building a business <laughs> um, <laughs> but I but I also learned that I kind of had a taste for it and um, and that uh, that it was something that I felt like I wanted to do and could do for the rest of my life and, and that I just really needed to learn how to get good at it. And, you know, so if you fast forward um, 19 years later or whatever it's been, it's it, I still feel like I'm 25. Um, but uh, but I've got the wisdom of, you know, 19 years of doing this and um, and having some wins along the way and certainly having some uh, some failures along the way as well. And, you know, and, and I think where we're at is just um, – just one of the most exciting times that anybody listening to this will probably face in their lifetime. I, I feel fortunate to uh, to be alive right now. I feel fortunate to be in business. I feel fortunate to be able to work 19-hour days without getting tired when I need to. And and um, you know, I think the next decade is going to be one of the most exciting we've ever seen. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the great intro, Chris. And you know, I, I have to agree with you there. I'm a couple years younger than you, but not that much younger. And I think sure. there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of younger uh, uh, entrepreneurs coming up that actually don't don't realize that um, you know earlier entrepreneurs that's the that's the price you had to pay. You know, half a million dollars and four plus many years of wasting quote unquote wasting or learning. Um, that was just that was entrepreneurship. That was normal, right? And so the the era that we're living in right now, people don't realize how lucky we are with the internet and how quickly we can actually just scale, you know, start a business, uh, try it, scale it, fail it, uh, and then move on to the next one without even blinking an eye. You know, maybe cost a couple hundred bucks now, whereas uh, back in the day, like you said, it cost you, yeah. you know. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars, years, relationships, you know, <laughs> this sort of thing. So yeah, and I think well, and I've heard you, you know, on other episodes. I'm a fan of the show, and I think you know, you're. I've read your newsletter and <clears throat> several times, and I think you know, there's no replacement for pattern recognition, and at the same time, there's also no replacement for enthusiasm and and youthful exuberance. And I I think what I wouldn't be doing right now is worrying about. Um, you know, whether I uh, don't have enough pattern recognition and, I've, and I'm spoiled or whatever, I, I, I think I'd be focusing on my strengths. So if I was a young entrepreneur, I'd be grateful that I was youthfully exuberant, feeling bulletproof, and that um, older, older people than I were telling me that this is an easier time to build a business or uh, a cheaper way to fail than ever before. I, I would, I would pay, pay attention to that in the sense of I wouldn't ignore it. I would log it for some future point in time where it might be valuable, but I would just run and realize that, you know, my advantages, my willingness, my speed and my, my impenetrability. And if I was uh, a little bit more seasoned and I'd been through, you know, several exits and several failures like, like I have, or several investments that didn't work out or ones that did like you have, then I'd be um, recognizing that, you know, youthful exuberance, exuberance um, and energy and health is an asset and so is pattern recognition and that that's a strength because um you know what i think we see right now for those who are playing hard right now is internet 1.0 happened right when i was beginning and it was kind of already at its peak hype cycle so i started in 1999 and everyone knows what happened in 2001 And so, you know, if I was getting started today, like several of the people that we meet or, or, you know, along the way that we mentor, I would be thinking it's 1999. And um, if I'm just getting started and it's my first rodeo, I better look at what happened in 2001 and I better kind of start asking people what I could do to prepare for that. Um, if I had pattern recognition, I would think where we are is 1995. And I say that because... mentally you can win in both scenarios. And I think what I didn't have the first time was pattern recognition. So I didn't know what I didn't know. I was terrible building businesses. I couldn't recognize the shift. I just knew I wanted to do it. And by the time 2.0 came around, you know, four years later, five years later, um, and you look at all the web 2.0 kind of internet oligarchs that we have today, um, I was too broke and too, you know, too in the middle of recovery to capitalize on that window. So, why I'm so aggressive, why I'm so happy, why I'm so excited right now is because I'm 19 years in, I know exactly what's happening right now, and I'm not too broke, I'm not too tired, I'm right where I wanna be to capitalize on this window and bring everyone who's coming with us along with me, but I'm also not romantic about it. I understand that winter's coming, Yep. And um, and I know what that looks like. And I also know what's on the other side of it. And so, you know, I think like a good investor, you you start to recognize these cycles. And if I was young, I wouldn't worry about it either, because there'll probably be another window 10 to 15 years from now right. that opens up on top of it. And you'll have the pattern recognition then and you'll have the experience and the credibility then to double down or, or you know, go big. I think it's just about patience and and whether or not you're built for this game or not. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, w- I can't wait to dive into uh, into where we are right now in the uh, in the timeline and the ecosystem and 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 the exciting things that that uh, we're on the on the forefront of. Um, just before we do that, though, uh, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the ventures that you did work out in the past. You know, maybe some of the failed ones or or the successful ones, and then leading up to. I guess Launch House, which is your current uh, gig, so to speak, uh, in addition to some of the, the the upcoming stuff that you're working on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the first couple the first couple businesses were um, in in around the fitness and health arena. That's kind of what I came out of, and and um, some of them had a brick and mortar component. I, I am not a brick and mortar guy. I'm not a real fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's just me. Uh, I have friends that make lots of money in brick and mortar. It just wasn't my wasn't my DNA. Sure. Um, so you know those were those were just what I understood. You know I started where I had passion and and kind of influence and and knowledge, and that was in the exercise science world. And and then I quickly kind of morphed into when you got to make half a million dollars back because you're not going to go <laughs> bankrupt and you want to pay back your friends and family and fools, you get really agnostic really quick yeah. about industry and you start just following money. And so um, I, you know, I kind of spent a lot of time between 03 and 05 when I kind of got back to zero um, and, and had recaptured going in and out of several different businesses. And it was benefit because it was kind of like 
getting a master's dissertation in a, a myriad of different verticals, and it, and it opened up my brain to think um, about certain industries without the myopic view of that industry. Yep. So I, I dabbled in everything from middle market LBO and al, uh, analytics to wholesale and retail lending because I was in Southern California at the time, so I don't have to tell anybody on this call why that was a smart move for a little bit. <laughs> I um I uh, you know I did debt consolidation because you know if you're gonna learn how to negotiate your debts. Um, uh, effectively, why not sell it too? Um, so I was very pragmatic and very agnostic, and I just focused on, you know, things where I could um, build relationships and make, you know, money and and kind of pay off debt and and learn. And and so I kind of went agnostic. And then in uh, 06, 07, we invested in um, some uh, information type businesses, info learning. We did some things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided I hated that business because. I, I realized really quickly that uh, the internet was going to make it very democratized for podcasts like this to give away better information for free, yep. and I didn't I didn't like businesses that I felt like were extracting people's hopes and dreams through the form of HELOCs and credit cards, selling them stuff they were never going to do. So I didn't stay in that very long, but I I got exposed to every aspect of it and I understood it in and out and. Um, and then I went bankrupt in 08 on a, uh, another um, investment that was kind of a brick and mortar slash coaching concept in, in the fitness industry. And we took all our profits from one business and put it into the other business for about 18 months. And then the partner quit, filed BK, and um, we were left to you know handle about $2.7 million worth of institutional debt. Wow. And so uh, I wrote that off and um, took that one on the chin. <clears throat> and you know, we uh, came out of that discharge a week before Lehman went in. And so what was right. interesting was um, I had kind of already gone through what most people think was hell. And coming out of that, I realized, you know what? I lost all the stuff. I bought more stuff. It's really not the end of the world. I can still play, you know. And so I, I 09 was interesting because everyone, as you know, was so rocked by the crisis. Mm-hmm. I had kind of I was like leaning forward and on my toes. And so I was able to insert into some turnarounds and do kind of um, performance-based equity deals and uh, consult and and essentially help turn around a couple things or help save a couple things and take up Delta on how we improve their performance. And it was in various different industries, so I won't mm-hmm. bore you with that. But bottom line was we stacked our chips up and then we started to really think about what was next and we had the vision to kind of see that. And we invested in a couple of um, content plays and a couple of uh, mobile enterprise analytic technologies in 2010. Um, all of those things failed with the exception of one, which exited this year for just under 50 million. Right. Um, and, and so, um, you know, so that really kind of bridged me 09 into the technology world full bore. <clears throat> and, uh, and ever since we've kind of stayed in the digital and technology, um, realm as far as, you know, our investments or our, the businesses that we've built. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how we got to where launch house is today. And so launch house is, our digital holding company family office. And, um, you know, we hold uh, assets that would fall under uh, digital agency, um, consumer product, like e-commerce type plays. Um, uh, but then primarily now we are heavily invested in um, blockchain uh, application technologies and, and infrastructure plays. And so, um, right. so that's kind of probably 80% of our portfolio today and moving forward, we'll probably continue to be Wow, that's uh, fascinating, and uh, thank you for sharing that, Chris. It was a, such a very interesting journey, and the ups and the downs that you shared uh, were, were just incredible, but uh, I appreciate that, and I, I'm sure the audience listening in will appreciate it as well. Um, and somewhere along the way, you had time to write a couple of books as well, I know, so uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, cause, well, you, you know, know well, the, the, the thing about books is that, you know, back in 06, I kind of learned somehow serendipitously that they're really good business cards. And, um, Mm -hmm. and then I learned after that, that, you know, I like to write and that, you know, sometimes as we've figured things out, um, so my first book that I wrote with my now wife was called personal trainers burnout. And essentially it was, here's how not, how to, here's how not to lose half a million dollars in the fitness business. Right. (laughs) Like that was, that was the book um, because I had done that. And so, you know, every book we've written um, all the way up until Digital Sense now and then Rebooting Retail, which is coming out um, shortly, uh, is really just basically, you know, hindsight and foresight, right? It's kind of like looking back and going, um, what do we do that worked? What do we do that didn't work? And, and what's the playbook that we could provide people and help them make sense of what they're trying to do, right? And so um, more recently, we've moved into digital transformation at large. 
um, and and how what does it mean and how do you actually execute putting the customer at the center of your business and that's really what digital sense was about um, and and the experience marketing framework which is kind of the real the guts of that book that the takeaway of that book that any company can use to to kind of build their picture of what it means to have a customer centric organization at their company. And then rebooting retail is really about, you know, looking at an industry vertical and building on that and saying, okay, we all know that there's sectors like retail that are struggling, but what is the business model of the future? How do you, what are the questions you need to ask? What are the new rules and the paradigms that are changing and fundamentally shifting the way that, you know, people are going to consume and also um, where your profit centers are going to be. And, and so, you know, all these things are really just as we've invested, as we've learned lessons, as we've made successes and if we've had failures, you know, how do we stay relevant as a source of, you know, trust or um, thought leadership uh, to to the market by just saying, hey, look, here's what we've learned. Here's what we think is going to happen next. We may be right on some of these things. We know we're right on these ones because we've lost millions of dollars or made millions of dollars doing them. But here's how you can apply it to yourself and, and kind of customize it for you. And and so it's just a way to. Um, to kind of share that and stay relevant and, and, you know, uh, get flown around to speak at events where I meet important people like you. <laughs> well, thanks for the compliment, but, uh, yeah, I, I wish, I wish I could fill those shoes, uh, better than you make it out to be. Um, so that, uh, Chris, I want to jump into, uh, crypto, which is, uh, where you say sort of a majority of your attention is, is at, yeah. I know that you're doing some exciting things in that space, um, including the, uh, world tokenomic forum, uh, and and also a social enterprise fund. Uh, before we we jump in uh, to that, I want to ask you about sort of an an overview of of the space. You know, for me as a someone who's been in from a financial background, I was on Wall Street for many years, and I still work at a hedge fund now. It took me a long time to wrap my head around uh, cryptocurrencies as a as an investment asset class, so to speak. Uh, I, I I was early on. I, I did some research on it just because I'm a tech tech geek as well. So I was familiar with it um, and I dabbled in a little bit or attempted to dabble in it in 2012-ish. Uh, and I, then I kind of forgot about it until just recently. So last year I was kind of doing some research and, and the sort of fundamental investor side of me was resisting uh, this crypto craze that was happening. Whereas uh, the you know the tech side of me was, was sort of very excited about the future. So for listeners that are, are kind of just seeing this whole hype out there um, and you're kind of deep in the trenches of it, what, can you paint us a, just a broad strokes picture of what's going on in the space right now? I, yeah, I think I'd like to. And, and, I've, and I would never want to insult the intelligence of your listeners because I know a lot of them are very sophisticated and some of this might be old hat. But I do think that uh, I do think that there's one thing that that your show uh, is a great platform for and that, that I'd like to do as I do that, which is just kind of level set people on some of this terminology, because mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest challenges right now that all of us face, whether we're investing, whether we're entrepreneurs in the space or, or anyone in between regulators even is there's a bastardization of a lot of these terms. Right. And and so I think just a level set. Again, I, I would open the uh, conversation up to anyone who wanted to reach out and, and, and debate this or, or maybe take this offline and have a bigger discussion on whether these are right or not. You know, let's define some things. Right. So let's define blockchain first, okay. because what, what I hear a lot in the financial press, and I'm sure you do, too. Right. Is a lot of people right now, current state of market. Well, Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. But the underlying technology is interesting. Right. You're right. hearing that almost <laughs> as if. They're all copying each other's talking points. I think and, I've even said that before. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to say that all of them um, don't know what that means, but I, I think a lot of them are copying that and, and they're being told to say that. But I don't really think they know what it is if you ask them what is blockchain. So, so here's what it is. Blockchain is a storage medium. Blockchain is a source of what we will call trustless truth. Blockchain is not... This is the this is the important thing. Blockchain is not um, an AI. It is mm-hmm. not a decisioning tool. Mm-hmm. And since you're a technology guy too, it's not a compute platform. Right. And I think that's key because a lot of people, when they say blockchain or whatever, they're they're asking it, or they're even pitching ICOs and white papers that are saying things that it isn't, right? They're saying it can do things that it doesn't do. It's a storage right. medium, right? That's it. 
So really, when you hear people saying, well, blockchain's you know, efficacy in certain uh, verticals isn't valuable because it's really just a crappier storage medium than what currently exists, they're wrong in one way, but they're right in another way. They're right if what they're talking about is just blockchain by itself, slap behind a firewall and replacing some other, you know, on-prem storage system or database solution, right? right? But they're missing the whole point because what they don't understand is they don't understand what Bitcoin is and what cryptocurrency is and and what uh, blockchain applications are. So we'll get to that in a second, but blockchain applications. So go up a level, those blockchain, which is a storage medium. Blockchain applications are applications that turn this storage medium into something that is governed by business logic and rules, right? Smart contracts, things right. like that. So when you talk about um, debits and credits and, and basically a ledger, a distributed ledger technology, you're tracking debits, credits, and now you're tracking what would be called tokens, right? Or smart contracts, which are containers that are stored or can be stored on a blockchain. Mm -hmm. and, and so again, just, just some vernacular. Um, when we talk about currency, Right. And your audience is going to get this probably more than anybody else. But it is amazing to me. And I don't know if you've seen this or not. How many people confuse currency with money? And right. um, and there's a fundamental difference. Right. Currency is nothing more than a ledger balance. And, you know, when we talk about fiat currency, the definition of fiat is, as you know, is an arbitrary order or, or a decree. So when we think about U.S. dollars or yen or Singapore dollars or whatever currency we're talking about that we think is money because it's paper and we call it that. Um, but when we say, oh, we, you know, we believe in fiat currency or we, we do that, there's, it's arbitrary. It's a decree. It can be printed ad nauseum, as we well know, and it's backed by nothing. Right. Yeah. So so it's not real. The only thing that makes it real is that there is a army in our case at the U.S. side that has a seven hundred billion dollar a year budget. Right. That enforces the use <laughs> of it. So so, you know, it's but otherwise it's basically, you know, worthless. Right. It's right. just the, the faith that it's going to be um, transacted and, 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 and accepted is what makes it valuable. So um, that's an important thing because basically fiat currency is no different than cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency in one way, which is that it is a ledger balance and it's not real. And, and some of the crypto people get freaked out because when, you know, Jamie Dimon, which I think he had a whole different angle, we're not going to get into that. But when people say <laughs> Bitcoin is not real, right, they're not lying. Um, they're also using semantics to um, inflame and kind of, you know, manipulate the markets and to piss people off on the on the crypto, you know, for life side and all that. But right. the reality is, is that by the very definition of currency, currency is not real, right? You can't invest in ledger balances. So it doesn't matter whether I'm investing in U.S. dollar. Right? I can't invest in U.S. dollars anymore than I invest in Bitcoin. I can speculate in cryptocurrency. I can speculate in fiat currency. But I can't actually own a ledger balance, right? I can speculate that that's going to go up or down. And so a speculator um, in crypto is what we call a hodler, right? Someone who's holding. Yep, yep. And, and again, I, I say this because a lot of the investors in here may have thought they were investing in cryptos. Be very clear. You are speculating, which is why the swings are so high right. and so rewarding. And they're going to stay that way. Now, money right? Money is a store of value. So gold, silver, all these things that we know are real money, right? That for thousands of years have been stable. Uh, you know, 4,000 years ago, an ounce of uh, gold would buy you a formal men's suit and it would also buy you 3,000 loaves of bread. And an ounce of gold today at whatever spot price is will pretty much buy you a formal men's suit and 3,000 loaves of bread, right? So there's this stability to gold. Now, ultimately what might and probably will happen, whether it's Bitcoin that does it or not, is we will have a crypto that becomes a reserve uh, digital currency. And the question is out as to whether that will be a decentralized one, like a Bitcoin, or a, you know, one that is manipulated by the, uh, you know, a special drawing rights one or some hybrid in between. But again, I just, just a level set, like I think, you know, the state of the market is confusion. And, and what you have is you have hype and you have confusion, which means you're going to have a spectacular, glorious correction. 
at some point. And there's going to be people that make more money than has ever been made in the world off of that. And there's going to be people who sell at the bottom and bought at the top and do whatever dumb investor slash speculator has ever done in the history of mankind. Right. And, and I think the last piece I would say, and then I'll take a breath because I know you want to ask a couple questions or debate that tokens. There's a lot of confusion around tokens. And part of that is we call these things ICOs, initial coin offerings. Really, they should be called initial token offerings because what we're selling is tokens. Right. And tokens, tokens are bartered. Currencies are paid. And that's a big, uh, again, simplified definition. But tokens were never meant to be used as currency any more than beer. If you come over and you want to mow my lawn, I could pay my guy in beer the first, second or third time, maybe if it's a favor. And he'll accept a 12-pack for mowing my lawn. But if he's going to do that every week, he wants dollars, right? He wants <laughs> currency. Right. And so, and and even if he accepts beer, what I can't do is go to the state or the federal government and pay my taxes in beer, right? So, so tokens are are this contract, um, you know, way back in English common law, right? It's an agreement for a value at a future date. It's mm -hmm. like a bearer bond. And so, you know, that's the thing that has regulators and everybody so freaked out is that when Bitcoin first started, you know, essentially it's a digital bearer bond, and it was so small, no one cared. Well, now it's not small anymore, and so. You know, the, the reason why regulators and everybody else are there is that, you know, bear bonds were kind of put and relegated to a very small uh, segment of the of the current asset class market and, and um, hard to move. But now you've got this whole new beast to tackle. And um, and so those are some of the things that that I think we're seeing and that people need to be thinking about as they evaluate these deals. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris, for the uh, to level set. I, I like that word. And, and um, you know, there's look for the audience listening and there's 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 a ton there's a ton of free resources out there that you can start researching uh, crypto on your own. And, and there's just too much to talk about in, in even even a series of podcasts. Um, and I know I know that we could talk forever on 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 different ones, uh, Chris. Um, but thank you for the intro. I, I encourage everyone to do their own research. You know, I mean, it's, it's funny because people see uh, their peers jumping in and making all this money, and then they'll jump in and do the same. And exactly like you said, regardless of what asset class you're investing, if you don't know what you're doing and you just jump in because, you know, the guy next to you is doing it, then you're bound to, to, to lose some money at some point. Right. Um, so I, what I, what I'm actually more, you know, curious about, um, is, is not specific around oh, what coins and this sort of thing. Cause that's not really sure. what we do on the show. What my, yeah. my, what I'm curious about is something that you alluded to before. Uh, look, you, you've, you've been through, Tech 1.0 and Tech 2.0. We are we are early days, or maybe middle-ish early days of of blockchain uh, crypto 1.0, so to speak. Um, and then you 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 mentioned that you know you are positioned perfectly right now, and because you know you you are able to see the patterns, and you've been through this this cycle before, and now you have knowledge, and you you have the wherewithal, and you're 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 set you're, you set yourself up. To take advantage of of and i assume you're alluding uh, to a certain degree to to what's happening right now in this space um yeah. how how as as someone that maybe not necessarily just wants to invest in the token itself to the various tokens themselves uh someone that wants to to look at uh, okay how is how is this whole thing going to play out five ten years from now where where are the where's the big money going to be made where 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 are the Facebooks the you know the 2.0s of of this revolution and how can I get involved in that like can you give us any yeah. any sort of you know. yeah so yeah well it's a good segue I know you want to talk a little bit about World Tokenomic Forum so I'll try and weave this in and and okay, you know great. yeah I, you know um the the idea is that we're moving into you know the token economy right and so we we know what a market economy is the token economy is basically a market economy with digital contracts right that's the layman's version of thinking about it it's the next evolution what does that mean well that means that you know um now and also you know you may have seen venezuela today you know announced yeah. that they raised 730 some billion dollars in their ico right now the, the point is is regardless of whether that uh, works for them fails for them or, or is just you know a, a step in the right direction um what you're going to see more and more and more of is this tokenization right which basically just means a, a legally enforceable contract for delivery at a future date of a physical asset made digital, right? What you're going to see is the tokenization of every real thing, 
Right. And we've already seen this with music, right? We took something that used to be physical on a record and then it was on a tape, then it was on a CD and now it's a, a download and now it's not even a download, it's a stream. So none of this should shock us, right? We've been seeing this for several years. The difference is now what's happening is uh, the systems of exchange and the mediums of exchange are being in the business models by which people exchange are being disrupted by a blockchain um, technology and and foundational layer and application layer and then ultimately these consortiums that you'll see. So if I was an investor, what I'd realize is that it's early days, but it's also it's also not um, we're in the protocol development uh, layer of of this you know kind of call it blockchain 2.0 or whatever you want to call it and then we'll have blockchain 3.0 right and so if you think about blockchain 2.0 it's like okay this thing's here to stay it hasn't gotten killed bitcoin kind of proved that right it's right. not going away and now you got thousands of altcoins and all this stuff and regardless of how many of them actually last the cat's out of the bag right we've gone from uh a a currency system uh, regardless of how long the, the central bank system stays intact or whether it disappears or whether there's some hybrid in between, we've gone from a system now, which was the best system we've ever had that was enforced by guns and bombs to a system that is enforced by code. And the minute that you have a system that can be enforced by code, right, you ask a couple of different questions. One, well, how, how do you secure that, right? How do you make sure it's not hacked? Because that could be a problem. But then once you've solved that or once you kind of get your head around that, then you start thinking, well, what, is, what opens up? What's the possibilities of that? And then you start to think about, well, wait, there's going to be a massive fragmentation phase, right? Just like when, um, you know, when VHS first came out, there was beta and there was probably 15 others we never heard of. Right. But before there was a standard, right, there, there was this battle to establish the standard. And we could debate right. whether or not beta was better or VHS was better, right, or Apple or PC. The reality is, was once there was a global standard, Right. Then an application explosion took off. And until there was a global standard, any of the application uh, development that was happening was pretty speculative and highly risky because you didn't know if you were going to be able to operate it on whatever the standard became. That's right. So so I think what's great about this phase, if we just think about why these cycles have to happen, when you get hype, when you get massive entrance like we have right now into crypto, you get talent. And when talent enters a space, it doesn't usually leave if that space has a future. And so what's happening right now is the 40, 50 million, 60 million, 90 million dollar, you know, raises that are happening and all this stuff that's happening, um, oversubscribing. What's happening is it's affording people the chance and the and justifying them to enter this space. And so the brighter and the best minds are now entering the space because of the gold rush. And some are going to leave. But for the most part. Uh, once we get that standardization level, a lot of that talent's going to stay, even if it means going to work for someone else. Right. And then as those things take off and the application layers get built, those people who have been in the game and who've been part of that protocol layer development will have certain insights and things and they will go start the application layers. So I don't know who's going to be the Facebook of the blockchain era. I don't know who's going to be that. What I do know is that um, all these Internet oligarchs that have been built on the current Internet protocol um, and and that own our identity need to and will be and must be disrupted or must be part of disrupting themselves because you know they can quite frankly disrupt themselves and be a service to humanity and still make money. But what we're what we're sitting on now is the opportunity for a more equitable uh, prosperity um, that is driven by real economics and not debt. And and so I think you know there's going to be a lot of murkiness until those standards are going to be set and as those standard gets set then then it'll be a lot easier just like it was once aws and some of these other things happen to stand up the application layers and then it'll be a battle for attention in the application layer if i was investing right now i'd be looking at infrastructure plays i'd be looking at um what governments need whether they know they need it or not i'd be looking at what banks need whether they know they need it or not i'd be looking at you know because and quite frankly we're not talking about thousands of opportunities, right? We're talking about a handful of protocol layers that are going to basically create the baseline. Um, you know, so you have NEO as, as one example on the, on the um, you know, Asian side, right? They're, yep. they're basically the yep. Chinese Ethereum. That's a protocol layer, right? You have Ethereum, uh, you know, and so there's going to be either one or two of those people that kind of become the protocol layer that all these, you know, other things get built on. Right. Um, 
I think those the case for those is probably be pretty strong. And again, I'm not making any advice and, and I'm certainly not qualified to. I'm, I'm just talking. <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I'm just talking about pragmatics and about kind of, you know, how you should be thinking about it. That's if, right. That's if right. you're if you're reading stuff about, you know, uh, call it the the Uber of blockchain, you got to remember that um, there was a Friendster and there was a MySpace and there was 15 other ones. There was a dig before there was Facebook. Yep. Yep. Right. So, you know, people invested in those. And um, and if they hadn't, we probably wouldn't have Facebook today because there wouldn't have been enough people mowing down and taking the arrows that then allowed, you know, someone to come and execute and take the market. I think, you know, that's part of your contribution as an investor is when you lose, you are enabling the next great invention. Right. But that's a good way of thinking of it. But I, yeah. but I think, you know, no one wants to hear that when they lose money. But I think that <laughs> uh, but I think at the end of the day that, you know, if you're an investor, you're not doing this once and done. You're doing this because of, you know, this is this is how you, you know, operate. And so um, you have to take a long term view yep. and you got to realize that you probably will fund. Uh, if you're in this space actively, you will probably fund the MySpace of crypto and you'll probably fund the, you know, name the 15 companies that don't exist anymore of crypto. But it'll also give you the foresight to then know when the Facebook has arrived and you'll be early on that one and it won't matter. Right. 100 percent. Uh, I, I like that. I like the way that you uh, are, are frameworking uh, uh, your the, sort of the outlook. And I think that uh, I, I urge all investors or potential investors in the space to uh, come up with their own framework, do your own research. Don't listen to all the hype. Um, and because I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's your money that's going in. Uh, and so you're responsible for it. So Chris, let's shift gears slightly uh, and talk about the world tokenomic forum. I know this is an exciting uh, new project that uh, somewhat new project that you're working on. Uh, tell us what that's all about. Yeah. Um, well, it is exciting and it's kind of like, you know, um, I think it, <laughs> At a fundamental level, um, we operate. We're entrepreneurial in our DNA, and and you know, there's two ways to get a seat at the table. You can ask to be invited to the existing table, or you can build your own table, and um, and you know, call it the, uh, you know, call it um, the 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 nature of a kid who grew up, you know, middle class in a neighborhood outside of Trenton, New Jersey, and and didn't you know didn't have a silver spoon, and certainly didn't have anybody in his family that ran businesses like I. I, I just have kind of always said, well, if I can build a table, I guess that's what I'll start with because I didn't have the connections to get invited to anybody's table and, and yeah. uh, certainly didn't have the pedigree. So um, I think what's interesting right now is that whether we want to admit that or not, uh, because of the sheer velocity of appreciation uh, um, of cryptocurrencies at large and and the sheer potential they still have ahead of them because they're still only somewhere around five, six hundred billion market cap collectively, uh, that whether we want to admit it or not, a new table is being formed rapidly. So World Tokenomic Forum addressed that and and really is you know, uh, providing a place and space to solve humanity's biggest problems through meaningful discourse, competitive innovation, and high-value deal-making. What does that mean? That means that we understand that um, you know no one ever gets exactly what they want. The central bankers of the world aren't going to get what they want, right? Because it's already too late. It's already too far out of the bag. So their world as they know it is is getting disrupted and they're having to adjust and you know they're not happy about it and they're going to not just willfully walk away they're going to you know do what they need to do to stay in power because that's what everyone does um the libertarians the anarchists the people that love you know being anonymous and you know living on whatever island and you know acting like Ayn Rand although I'm a fan of her books uh, they're not going to get what they want either, right? Because <laughs> because Atlantis doesn't hold 9 billion people, which is where this globe is heading. And it doesn't serve humanity in a way where we have to get 4 billion people off of $2 a day. Um, and, you know, and, and we have to get the rest of the people that think they're, you know, broke, but living in a middle-class lifestyle funded by debt back to some level of sustainability, right? Like there's, there's just bigger fish to fry than our ideology. So I think what World Tokenomic Forum is is creating and, and stands for is to build bridges and tear down walls between the decentralized and centralized economic institutions and factions to create a new economic order that works for all humanity, honors innovation, and, and secures sovereignty, both at the individual level as well as the um, institutional and, and country level. Right? Mm -hmm. um, get back to a place where if we had an economic model that's based on a token uh, a tokenization of everything real made digital future contracts that kind of thing um, all of a sudden it becomes possible to create real prosperity 
um, and real liquidity that creates hopefully investment opportunities to create new opportunities for human beings to do things that machines can't yet do. And, um, and that opens up opportunities for two and a half billion people that are unbanked to all of a sudden be able to not only consume, but produce and distribute through their mobile phone, which they already have. Right. And when you think about the possibility there, what does it look like for a world that right now um, has the GDP across, across of it that it has, and yet three billion people of it don't even participate? Right. Like what happens when three billion people can participate, not just as producers and income earners, but consumers. Um, And what does the model need to be? Well, we have the ability to do that. So so World Tokenomic Forum, you know, the big vision, right, is through collaboration and and through discourse and healthy debate to hold the space to allow uh, these multiple factions to come together and to try and create a through line to, um, you know, a better a better humanity and a better experience and a better economic system. Uh, for everybody, powered by technology. Um, how, one of the initiatives we have, which I know you were alluding to earlier, how, how do we do that, right? So right. it's a membership-driven model. We don't publicly announce that membership. We don't sell it on a website. It's it's much more like a Davos model um, in the sense of, you know, we hand-select members uh, across a category, uh, four different categories, and we don't do that to be elitist. We, we do that to actually be inclusionary and consider people that may not otherwise be considered in the current state of things. Um, and yet at the same time, um, we want to leverage the institution and the enterprise leaders uh, because of their bandwidth, their scale, and their, and their R&D to be able to say, okay, how can we help you identify the emerging technologies you need um, that you can't build or buy faster? And how do we help the startups of the world um, find first customers so that they get real traction? Because it's one thing to raise $50 million. It's another thing to create $50 million worth of revenue. And, um, you know, $50 million raised will at some point run out. Yeah. And $50 million in sustainable revenue that grows creates real utility in the world that um, that, that allows more things to happen, right? So, so how do we create a, a funnel in a uh, pragmatic way that's efficient um, to theme uh, the investments that we make as well as the investments that we discover and then introduce those um, to uh, those those big brother big sister buyers that help them ultimately get to scale uh, get acquired or get um, you know the, the the capital and the resources they need to grow up and, and become strong enough on their own and right. um, and so that's kind of the you know that, that's kind of the value prop for the members of world tokenomic forum. Uh, for startups, we, we've launched the Sandcastle Startups Challenge, which is uh, happening right now. We were in Singapore. We were in, um, we've been all over the world the last six weeks, and we're wrapping it up at South by Southwest in uh, March. On March 15th, nice. uh, we'll, we'll close the applications. We've got close to, I think, 400 right now. We'll probably end up with about 600 or 700 um, applications from startups around the world that are in blockchain technologies. And uh, we are going to whittle that down to 64 teams that, that um, fit into one of five categories, cybersecurity, identity, payments, infrastructure, or social impact. And the, several fit in multiple, but basically they have to fit in at least one naturally. And, um, and we'll pick 64 teams and they will compete in kind of a March Madness style uh, you know, tournament. Nice. And, and the winning 32 that come out of that first round will come all expenses paid other than their airfare, but all expenses paid for three days down to our annual summit of members in Grand Cayman, May 8th to the 10th. And then uh, they will go head to head in kind of a really fun um, pitch slash Q&A, uh, you know, side by side, 10 minute on 10 minute kind of round. And we'll whittle it down until we get a final four and then a, and then a grand champion. And the grand champion right now is um, slated to win about a million dollars worth of exchange listings and other services and prizes. Um, and, and you know, the other the other wow. teams will all win, you know, different things as well. So. Um, so we're, we're turning, you know, it into a competition and then we'll, you know, we'll obviously be introducing those 64 teams, um, you know, to, to the relevant enterprises and, and, you know, governments and things like that, where we think they might have value and, um, but ultimately there'll be a winner and, um, you know, and so that's Sandcastle and then the Sandcastle social enterprise fund is where we hold the tokens that are in those companies. And then also where we will place, um, you know, investments when, when merited, uh, into some of those as a double down strategy. And then, um, it's a family office fund and it's, it's got zero limited partners. And so we announced, uh, last week that, um, our version of social impact is, 
the more ROI we make, um, the more we give. So, um, you know, there's a tiered structure that, that got published, but essentially on the low end, 20% of the carry uh, will go back into social um, impact enterprises and nonprofits that are uh, creating economic uh, entrepreneurial activity in, in regions around the world. Um, we're doing meaningful work in that regard. And then um, if we, you know, if we hit a billion dollars, we'll give 40%. So basically the better that the fund does, um, in liquidity and, and in ROI, the more we give up to uh, 40% of the carry. So that's our kind of spin on social impact investing. That's fantastic. And I'll, I'll, uh, I, you, you sent me that, uh, that, that press release, which I'll have uh, linked up in the show notes. Um, that's it's such a cool initiative, uh, Chris, that you're, you're working on. And the, and the startup competition is, is actually extra fascinating to me. It's almost like a tech crunch slash uh accelerator if you will almost because you're you're actually helping these startups uh and and placing them or connecting them with the relevant uh you know industry uh organizations that they might be able to help or or collaborate with in the future which i think is awesome well and we're and and they're helping our and they're helping our enterprise innovators and dlt practice teams and and vcs and corporate vcs um you know loving it too because again it becomes another potential curator of deal flow that um, that can be made relevant to them, but also, um, you know, look through thousands of deals um, and and kind of try and whittle down some of the best teams and technologies. And, and so, you know, it's a service on both ends of the value chain. That's awesome. Um, I, as we look to wrap up here, Chris, you know, it's been a really awesome and engaging uh, discussion that we've had. And thanks so much for, for, for all the sort of uh, stories and knowledge and, and uh, advice that you've dropped um, I think that our listeners are going to really, really enjoy this episode. You know, I just have a last couple questions. You know, I always ask our seasoned entrepreneurs that come on for uh, a piece of advice. And, and uh, you know, for, for startup founders, sort of young young guys that are listening, guys and gals that are listening in, uh, maybe, maybe specifically to the blockchain crypto space right now, uh, you know, what, what piece of advice would you give these, guys, these people, um, these entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs looking to to uh to make their mark right now yeah well i so um what i would what i would challenge everybody to do if you if you're an entrepreneur and if you're an investor i challenge you to look at this too this way um i would i would try and understand at a high level that when you take a storage medium that has forever lived behind the firewall in my business and in your business and in everyone else in our industry's business and you start to externalize that you put that storage medium out uh, in public, right? So you put it outside of your organization where now there's a cost, there's a shared cost. There's a thing. What, what should and what will happen when it's done right, when it's architected right, is whatever the blockchain technology is and whatever the, the um, efficacy of that is, it will reduce your correspondence time by a factor of 10,001. So it should, it should drop three orders of magnitude, right? And it should reduce your cost, therefore, at least two orders of magnitude. So 100 to 1. And if it doesn't, and I'm looking at an investment or reading a white paper, and I can't clearly understand how this technology, whatever it is, is going to create two to three orders of magnitude difference between my actual hard cost today um, and my actual correspondence, my time, my my people cost today, right. then I should not invest. And if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm building that, um, I should go back to the drawing board until I have one that does. And here's why. Because just in the verticals that we're doing, and I don't say this for any other reason, we're certainly not the only ones, we have technologies that are already doing that. So if you right. are a startup, what you need to be thinking about is, are we making a two to three order magnitude difference on, on cost of, of actual pay, you know capital going out and time? And if we are, then great, let's run like hell and let's get to market and let's do everything we can to get traction because... Um, we've got something real. And if we're not, then what you need to be careful of is getting too excited about your early returns because somebody will invent one and come right behind you and take everybody away. Right. right. So, um, and, and again, as an investor, it's just proof. Like ask the question, how do you reduce uh, time? 10,001. How do you reduce cost? 100 to one. Show me that and I'm in. And that'd be my only question to any technology that sat down with me and wanted my money. That's awesome. I think that that's really sound advice because, uh, uh, you know, people, a lot of people right now are missing the, the forest for the woods or whatever that saying is. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. <clears throat> you're, you're, the bottom line is it has to it has to be impactful and enough 
uh, otherwise, you know, I mean, the space is just too big and there's too many smart people in it right now that you're just going to get lost. Well, and uh, I, you know, I've got one more that's a little bit more inspirational than that for the startup people. And I, and I want to, it's a same way of saying something different. Um, you guys can raise money right now, at least for however much longer this window lasts, easier than anybody else could in history. And so there's two ways you can look at that. You can look at that as, let's go do that, that's cool. Or you can go, wait a minute, what problem am I actually trying to solve? Because I would I would try and influence startups on this, or the people like in that game right now listening to this to say, just because I can raise the capital, what should I actually raise it for? You've never had a better chance to solve a real problem than you do right now. So if you're gonna go raise 50 million or 100 million dollars from people, please go try and do the unsolvable. Please, yeah. please attempt, right? Please attempt, go down with a glorious sword through your belly if you need to, but please at least <laughs> attempt to make a big effing difference, right? right. Because there's, you're gonna look back at some point at this time in your life and in your career, and you're going to either have regret or you're going to have um, clarity and, and complete fulfillment regardless of the outcome. And the only difference is going to be whether you played small or not and whether you took the easy road. And um, and I'm going to encourage you that the, the joy is in the doing. It is not in the getting. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great final uh, little quote there. I mean, I think all entrepreneurs will, will understand that because. Uh, it's really the only thing that gets you up uh, each and every day. It's not sort of the amount in your bank account or this sort of thing. You know, I mean, it's once once you've sort of achieved your base level of hierarchy of needs, uh, you need something bigger that drives you every day. So, Chris, it's been awesome catching up with you. What's the best place that people can find you and follow you and learn a little bit more about what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, at Chris J. Snook on all things social. Is, uh, is a good place. Um, LinkedIn is is and Twitter are preferred. Um, uh, obviously, Telegram and all those things are, are out there too. Um, and WorldTokenomicForum.com uh, for you know for anyone who's um, interested in in the Sandcastle Startup Challenge or keeping in touch with us there. Um, and then uh, Launch House is our holding company, but you can um, put that in the show notes. But and it's it's been a pleasure, man. I'm super honored. I think you got an amazing platform. I'm really uh, I'm really honored to have been able to be part of it. And thanks for everybody for listening for 45 minutes or whatever it's been. Hey, thanks for the kind words, man. Appreciate it, and looking forward to catching up soon, man. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness. Yeah.